Welcome to the Intelligent Investing Podcast, where modern portfolio theory can suck it. A student of the school of Graham and Doddsville and a clergy member of the Church of Warren Buffett, here's your host, Eric Schlein. Hi, this is Eric Schlein. You're listening to the Intelligent Investing Podcast. And today we have on Han, Ann Hambley, uh, who is the CEO and founder of First Service Solutions. And welcome to the show. Thank you. My pleasure. Yeah. So, so tell us a little bit. You know, I like to have uh, business owners, founders, CEOs come onto the show. Uh, you have a fascinating company uh, and you built quite a niche for yourself. So would love to would love to hear a little bit more about you and talk about the company and you know, see where we go from there. So, so who's Anna Hambly? Tell tell us a little (laughs) bit about you. Well, me personally. So I'm, um, I've been married for, uh, 35 years, uh, to Doug here and we live in Texas and I've got two grown boys and six grandkids. So my, my life is a little busy outside of the office. Um, I love to boat and do anything outdoor, sun, sand, beach, my favorite thing in the world. So we're big outdoor water fans. Um, I, I have uh, worked in one line of business my entire career, so very boring in some ways, but it does make me a, a, you know, an expert in it for sure. So I was uh, always in commercial real estate servicing, have been in commercial real estate servicing for, um, gosh, 40-some years now, started right out of school, and uh, ran ultimately ran a lot of the large servicing shops for commercial real estate. And then in um, middle of 2000, I, I, 2004, I recognized that somebody needed to create a business model where you help uh, owners of commercial real estate that have a specific kind of debt. And it's really highly structured Wall Street debt called CMBS. And so I kept and what, telling what is that? And what does that stand for? Uh, commercial mortgaged-backed securities. Okay. So it's where a borrower gets a loan from his bank, local bank, and it's it's sold off on Wall Street. You've seen the movies, The Wolf of Wall Street, uh, The Big Short. Yep. I mean, those are all devoted to this this business. So it's sold off to a bunch of bondholders on Wall Street. So what it means for an owner is there's no lender now. So the bank that I used to call, and I, there's nobody to call now. So anyway, I created this firm in 05 to address that. So had this firm now, First Service Solutions, for 15 years, and that's all I do: CMBS all day long. And And when you say to address that, what what exactly are you guys doing? We, uh, me and my team, um, knowing what happens behind the scenes. Um, is is what we equip borrowers with. So if you're a normal uh, commercial real estate owner and you got this loan and you now, gosh, let's use a recent example, you a pandemic hits, mm. you have, let's say you have a hotel, got shut down, now I can't make my payment to the lender. So I call up the person I've been talking to or I think I know at, you know, pick Wells Fargo, one of the bigger servicers. And I call them and tell them what's going on. And the feedback you get generally is uh, the textbook response, which is, well, you have to make your payment anyway. But as a borrower, you're like, well, I can't, right? So what do I do? So what I do is I equip borrowers with what happens behind the scenes, what the rule book is for CMBS when they say you can't, what they mean is you got to go do this. So I sort of do a lot of interpretation, explanation, education, and really level the playing field for an owner. So if, I, if I'm if i a hotel owner, right, can't make my payment, let's say COVID hits, right, 
and my, mm-hmm. my no one's coming or I'm at you know five percent capacity or whatever. Um, I can't make my payments. I call up Wells Fargo. They say you have to you have to pay regardless. Now, where do you come? How do I find you? How do I know you exist? Well, podcasts like yours. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Um, really, just uh, we it's a it's a small business. Commercial real estate is a fairly small business to begin with. It seems like after 40 years in the industry, you get to know everybody. So at some point, people just know of you or they know two friends that, you know, know you as you and I've experienced um, in the past. This industry is one or two degrees of separation at all times. Right. So it's a little bit of that. It's a lot of referrals from other people, people that have we've worked with before. And sometimes I love opportunities like this to share uh, what my firm does just for anybody who didn't already know. So. Okay, interesting. So now if I come to you, right? I, I can't pay my my loan payment. I say, "And can you help me? What do you, what do you what do you tell me? What do you, and and how do I how do I pay you? What what, what exactly are you offering me? Cuz I'm not just yeah. calling you and be like, "Hey, what's up? Give me some advice." It's not like that. So what what what, yeah. what exactly does that look like? Well, so here's an example. So you call you called Wells Fargo and they said, "Oh, we can't help you. You got to make your payment, right?" So yeah. you say, "What well, I can't." They said, "Well, I can't help you." And that's kind of how that conversation goes. So you call me, you find out, you get frustrated. Generally, that's the state people call me in. They're highly frustrated. They're at their wits' end. I can't get anything done. Now what do I do? They speak to friends that they know at a golf club or bar or whatever. And, uh, they say, Oh, you need to call, you know, Ann Hambly. So they call me and I explain to them, okay, it is correct. Wells Fargo cannot give you relief. They're the master servicer, but there is a party in your transaction who can give you relief. So let me help you get your loan over to that party. And let me explain to you how that works. And let me explain to you what will happen once you get there. And so it's a lot of, um, I like to tell people, the best way to describe this is let's say, uh, and sometimes this is the case, let's say I was going to, I decided today I'm going to climb Mount Everest tomorrow. Okay. So I just, so I call a Sherpa, right? And I tell them that's my goal. Now I hope the first thing they tell me is, uh, honey, let's go like walk around the block five times. <laughs> you know, right. Let's get in shape and let's get prepared. And then we can talk about it. But here's what to expect. And here's what it's going to cost you. And here's what it's going to here's what it's going to be like. Right. But I'll be with you every step of the way. I'm kind of like a Sherpa. And sometimes it, the advice is let's get prepared first. Let's not go today, but let's do other things to get prepared and then we'll go. So, and, what do you, and, what do you, and what do you do? Can you can you give um, an actual example without using, you know, names? Yeah, sure. OK. Um, well, so I got a whole bunch of examples I can think of. Um, uh, so I, I'll use an example of back in, um, oh, let's say J.C. Penney. Well, let's use a different one. Sears files bankruptcy. Right? Okay. So mm-hmm. we all knew that. Toys R Us. Better yes. example. Toys R Us uh, goes out of business. And I owned a retail center, and Toys R Us was one of my main tenants. Right. Mm-hmm. So Toys R Us leaves. Uh, they file bankruptcy. I'm now as a borrower, I'm stuck, right? So I call Wells Fargo. I, you know, I finally engage my firm. What I'm going to help them understand is how much is it going to cost you to get another tenant in? How long is it going to take? Do you think to get them in? Let's figure out a way to temporarily reduce your payments because you don't have a lot of income. How, and how do you and how do you do that? How do you do that? 
Um, if your payment is principal and interest at 5.5%, you might consider, we might look at going uh, interest only at 3%. Maybe it reduces your payment enough to where you're not coming out of pocket to make the payment. And then you're, you're negotiating that with the bank? Yes. Well, but there is no bank. But yes, ultimately negotiating it with what's called a special servicer. And they're the ones, the bondholders who ultimately are your lender, appoint. Okay. So yeah, and that's the and the way I do that is that's the groups I ran and and it was part of. Well, I mean, are you calling a bank though to reach that servicer? Is what I'm asking. Yeah. Like you're calling Wells Fargo, you speak to the 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 person in charge of that security. Yes. Is that is that the am I getting that right? Yes. Only the special servicer now would be the one to call, and and that might be you know. Rialto, LNR, or that's a whole different group of okay, people. Gotcha. But correct. That's what I do is call them, figure out who the right person is and start, you know, negotiating. And I also have access to other deals that were just worked out. So in this last Toys R Us example, borrower, here's one of the very things we got approved. Why don't we consider that for your deal? You know, so And what did they have to prove? Knowledge. What would they have to prove in that example? Uh a- Approval could be that I temporarily reduce, if you had a $30 million loan, I might temporarily reduce your loan from 30 to, you know, 20, okay. uh, allow us to kind of get through a period where you're finding another tenant, you get another tenant in, and then we, uh, you know, have all the new, uh, the we go back to kind of the original terms. So there's different ways you can modify it. But ultimately, the objective I've got when a borrower has a problem like that is to eliminate them from having to come out of pocket to keep the loan current. These are non-recourse loans, okay. which means all the lender really has as collateral is the loan, not the person, not the human being. And so I'm trying to keep, uh, I'm trying to take the property income that does exist and find a way to make that work for a loan payment okay. without the borrower coming out of pocket. And, and then, ha- the and then how do your, how does your company get paid? We get paid a couple different ways. It's an advisory fee at the end of the day, right? Okay. So I'm getting paid for my advice, and some of the fee is sort of a monthly retainer, and sometimes it's aligned with the outcome at the back end. If I save them a ton of money, I get a little piece of that at the end. So you're, so. you're almost like the like the law firm for uh, commercial real estate loans, in a sense. Yeah. Except not doing yeah. legal work, but that's doing, right. doing lending that's work. The- yeah, it's, it's it is. It's exactly or an, or I like to say too, like a ta- I, I have a tax person who does my taxes for the company and personally. Now, could I pick up uh, QuickBooks and uh, not QuickBooks? Um, what's the TurboTax? Yeah. Learn how to do my taxes on my own. I probably could. Would I have the same outcome as my tax person who's got thirty years doing taxes? Heck no. Yeah. Right. So I'm better off hiring someone to do that for me. That's what people would hire me for. Could they learn it on their own? Yeah, you probably could, of course, but. Uh, better to have someone who does this for a living, you know. Now, when you started your business, was there anyone else doing this at the time? No, no. So you literally invented this industry. I invented this industry of taking the, and the reason, yeah, well, taking this information that exists if you're in the servicing world and and helping owners understand what to do. I, I definitely did that. First year as a business, I used to tell people when I'd explain what I did, I said, well, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a broker. I'm not an accountant. I'm not a – and then I thought, I need to come up with a name for this because all I'm telling them is all the things I'm not. Yeah. And eventually the word advocate kind of came up. And so that's that. So that's where I came up with the borrower advocate. And now there's uh, 
hundreds and hundreds of them. Yeah. Interesting. But is your company, um, are they, are you, is your company the largest now that does this or? Yes. For, and everybody tells me that. So I'm that's, I would love to say yes, regardless. Right. But that, but I hear that all over. I think we are the well, you know, we were the first now that doesn't account for anything later, but we have a very good reputation and we're definitely one of the biggest, I think we're the biggest, but yeah. So interesting. So what is, what is your day to day, um, life look like? And, and are, are you just taking calls with uh, clients all day? Mm-hmm. Are, are there other people <laughs> taking calls with clients? Like what? Are you managing these people? What what does that look like? All the above. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, I spend a lot of my day, uh, yes, on client calls, pretty much every hour on the hour, every half hour on the hour on some busy days. Um, and I'm, and I'm guiding them on what, uh, you know, what to expect, what this looks like and so on. Um, either partway through the process as we're working on deals or upfront when they're first starting to engage us. So I'm involved with each deal and each client along the way. Um, so yeah, my day mostly is spent on the phone. I mean, all day long, long I'm on the phone. Has, um, has, has and then COVID? A lot of times it's with the servicer, okay. you know. Has COVID and do you, do you find when there's a, does some sort of turmoil or disaster, it's actually good for your business? Yeah. I'm actually what a Wall Street Journal, when I first created the firm, they did an article in like 08 or 09. So I created the firm in 05. But by 08 or 09, you, everybody probably remembers what happened in 08. But I happened to be the only firm and in the right place at the right time. And all the workouts, all the downturn of 08 started hitting me. And so Wall Street Journal did an article and they talked about how I'm a counter cyclical business. Yeah. So when times are really, really good, people don't always need that advice because you're just paying your payment every month and nothing's different, right? But when times are bad, then it's absolutely my busiest times. Um, so yeah, we're very, very, but we've been extremely busy due to COVID. I've worked more hours since March 11th than ever in my life, I think. And so I, I have no, um, I don't have any of the same stories I hear about people that have been staying at home and cleaning closets and doing things since COVID. I have none of that. Yeah. Are you working with any shopping malls? Yes, a lot. Yeah. What, what are your thoughts on that, the mall industry and how that's going to work out? Yeah. So I'll contrast it first. Hotels, overnight, boom, they went to no income. If you look at a hotel, you think, okay, likely it's going to recover. It's a matter of how long it takes to recover. Right. But we'll all go back eventually to staying in hotels. Retail, on the other hand, especially when you look at malls or some of the older type retail, we were already transitioning as a as a world or the U.S. at least from buying stuff on uh, you know at the mall to buying stuff online. Mm. COVID accelerated that by. I don't know how much, but so many retailers every darn day are now not making it every day. So I think retail got a really big kick and it in a in a in a down negative way and it caused retail to uh, go from what was going to be maybe a 5 or 10 year deceleration to like a one year, you know. So what do you do with those clients where it looks like they're in permanent decline? Yeah, that's the key. The key there is to figure out, those are what I call falling knives, yeah. right? Because you got to catch it, but where do you catch it and what, you know, and do you let it just all the way fall? I mean, it, it's, it's really uh, difficult. So the key is to figure out, number one, what is the owner's objective? Do they want to keep it 
Do they want to just bow out and step out now? Do they want to sell it? What, you know, what is the ultimate plan for the property and the objective of the borrower? And then based on that, I formulate a strategy. Sometimes, let's say a borrower says, I really want to own this center, but I'm going to have to put a ton of money in and revamp it. It's not going to look like it looks now. Well, maybe we do what's called a discounted payoff. If they owed 30, uh, maybe the value today is 15 and they'll we'll, we'll negotiate a deal where they wire 15 and it's all done. Right. That's just the end of the story. Yeah. Um, some people say, you know what, I, I'm done. I've spent so to your investing audience. I've spent all my I'm, I'm emotionally spent. I'm done with this property. I just soon hand it back to the lender. Well, what I like to do there, instead of handing it to the servicer, the special servicer, why not hand it to someone who's looking for distressed malls? Right. Right. I got I got someone who wants to get rid of it. If there's someone who wants to own it, and I can make a deal there and work that out with the lender, you know, the servicer, that's a perfect scenario. So it's so there's a lot of people that want to buy distressed. This is the time to connect them to people that want to get out. All right. Interesting. Interesting. Do, mm-hmm. do you think the future of malls is more experiential? I've heard, you know, I thought it was. Uh, well, I think everybody kind of, at least that's what I certainly heard over and over uh, pre-COVID. Yeah. Now I've started hearing people talk about, now that was more of a band-aid to kind of get us through the next few years. Okay. I think it's something bigger and different now. I don't know. No, I don't know if we'll... I don't know, you know. I I, I hate to say that because yeah. you're asking me, but yeah, I, I it's very interesting to watch. I I don't I don't think that's the solution. I think that was a band aid. Okay, interesting. Yeah. Uh, what about Office? Do you do you any know, do you do any stuff with Office? We do. We we work with every property type. Okay. Uh, I just listened to a, a webinar yesterday, and it was interesting because they were covering the different property types and what these experts saw property types doing and what uh i think the, the feedback on office across the board is maybe less people will go into an office now that COVID's hit and we all realize you can do what we're doing right now yeah. you know you don't have to be sitting together to have a conversation um but we won't go away from being in an office altogether but we'll probably require more space than maybe we all allowed ourselves previously. We were all crammed in little spaces. So by the time, the key is, will that offset each other? Less people, but more space. Maybe you need the same amount. I don't know. You just beat me to my next question. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. (laughs) Yeah. So do you think that right now a distressed office property as an investment could be interesting? Yes, of course, um, we don't see as many distressed office buildings yet. I'm sure we will, but the ones we're, you know, overwhelmingly hospitality. I mean, most hotel deals are in default. Right. Retail, next one. Student housing, the next one. There's other types. Office, we don't have a lot of yet. So okay. it'll be something we just have to kind of watch, I think, over the next, you know, year or so. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So what what do you um what what's what's next for first service solutions? What are you are you just do, doing what you're doing or do do you, are you innovating doing new things? What does that look like? It's always the million dollar question, right? One of the things that I mean, one of the things for sure is the next couple of years will be pretty much occupied with doing exactly what we just have been talking about and how do you get from pre-covid to post-covid 
for a property. Yep. Even if a vaccine comes out next month and things go back to normal, let's just say, what is the new normal and, and how long will it take before we'll all get on a plane and do all the things we did before, right? So I, I, that's that's a lot of what it is, is what does the near term next couple of years look like? And then how do we uh, – the, the biggest objective is how do we get investors – hooked up with the distressed opportunities. That's huge. And that's done via these off-market transactions that were involved. When when you say getting investors um, linked up to these distressed opportunities, are you talking on the debt side or or actually buying the actual properties? Oh, buying the actual property. Okay. Yeah. So you do that too as a service? Yeah. Now, we're not brokers. What I'm saying though is I'm working with a borrower. Okay. And he originally engages me to advise him. And his end result is I like to hand the property back. Okay. That's when I prefer to now go to a list of investors I have that say, hey, if you ever run across a situation where I can potentially buy a distressed mall, let me know. Yeah. So I make that call. And then, you know, we try to make a deal with the one guy walking away, the other one buying it. And I make a deal with the servicer. And so everybody, everybody's a winner. Win, win, win. Right. Those are the yeah. deals where I spend time. And I'd like to uh, – there's others in my firm and me. We'd like to yeah. help even invest in some of those opportunities and participate in, in that, you know? Do you, so, do you work with any like the large REITs or anything like that? We do. Okay. We have a lot of the large REITs, yeah. One of the largest REITs we've worked with recently has been a hospitality REIT okay. that had – can you imagine every hotel pretty much went through uh, a, a problem with COVID, you know? Right. so. Yeah. Wow. I know. So interesting. Yeah. You must have a very, very, a very interesting life in general. Yeah. <laughs> or boring. It's very, very consistent. I, I don't know. I, I find it interesting. <laughs> I think my thank listeners you. would find it interesting. Yeah, thank you. I'm sure some people, a lot of people would find it boring. Yeah, yeah. So well, like that's sometimes what you do? people can say, well, I was a, a pilot and a you know, marine biologist. And I was, uh, you know, I hear all these career recaps yeah. and I think, well, mine, mine was commercial real estate. That's it. Commercial yeah. real estate servicing, you know? Yeah. Some of the, I, I joke with my friends, that if, <laughs> you know, if I lived like 200 years ago, I would not have like anything to do. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the skill set is useless a few hundred years ago. Yeah. Yeah. True. True. That'll be the same eventually here too, but yeah. Why do you say, why do you say that? Well, because a lot of what we're doing today, I think mm-hmm. about that, will be automated. It will be done. Automated. I mean, there's right. There's no way you're going to need people to man it to sit and do all the things we're doing today in most cases. Yeah. I mean, you know. How long is that timeline? You think? Oh, well, you didn't tell me you're going to ask these hard questions. I didn't know it was going to come up. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> and do you pre- do you actively think about that and prepare for that? Like I do. So I won't happen, I don't think, necessarily in my exact lifetime. Okay. Um, but I think in my grand, you know, my my grandkids' lifetime for sure. I think, you know. Um, so I don't know. It just it's it's casual thinking. I'm not like yeah. worried about it or fixated on it. But of the things, you know, just going to change so much. You know. That's that's with a lot of industries, right? You can either pivot or yeah. just kind of let yourself die. Absolutely. Which there isn't inherently wrong with letting yourself die either sometimes. You know, you just extract right. whatever cash needs to be made and let it, the business sunset and do the next thing. I mean, that can work too. Exactly. Well, we, we've talked as a group here to also um, – somebody brought this up where there was a company that did a buggy whip a long time ago. Oh, and they okay. yeah. Doing the 
and they were trying to perfect it, you know, and eventually, well, camera places are like that today too. In some, you can think of some industries that are, right. well, bookstores, right? Kinko's or, um, I don't know. Think of that. I, I didn't mean to bring Kinko's. I mean, they're still there, but I mean, there, there are businesses that if they don't change, you can see where eventually sure. there isn't a need for it. Right. Um, you know, probably look at Blockbuster was one of the better, you know, or typewriter so, companies, beeper, typewriter. beeper companies, yeah. you know, right. Yeah. Right. Or people that just produce ink or something. I don't know. You know, yeah. there's just some things that you can see eventually could run out. I think sure. ours could, some parts of what we do, could be like that too. Yeah. Inter- interesting. Very yeah. interesting. And have you gone, is there, is there any times where your business gets tough? You know, have you, have you either gone through hard times or can you see where it could go through hard times if you didn't plan accordingly? Well, our business is always tough, but I know what you, or you're probably saying where the business is. Tough. Yeah. Where the, like, the actual yeah, business. No, yeah. Yes. Uh, I did go through, uh, definitely some tough times. So we, I geared up, oh, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 downturn. You know, uh, I had, I don't know, 50 people on staff, um, we required that to get through that downturn. I then started focusing on, okay, well, the next wave is the maturity wave. So you heard about in 15, 16, and 17, there were all these maturities that were going to come in and default. So I kept, so you have to, there's always a, a balance between, you know, do you cut back on your staff and rehire or do you keep, I really like to keep the consistent, you know, long-term full-time employees. So I did that waiting for that maturity downturn. Maturity yeah. issue, and it didn't come, and so it's it's easy as a uh, oh a, a sensitive uh, run run things by your heart person to keep people longer than you should financially, and I've done that before, and that, and so hard times are when the economy is fantastic, and there is not as much of a need for our business. Um, the hardest thing is to know when to let people go, when to bring people back, and you know. So that's that's the toughest part. Mm. So interesting. Uh, is there any is there anything else that you think would be interesting to talk about or discuss, or things I haven't gone over that you'd you'd, you'd like to bring up? Um, my book, maybe. Oh, I wrote a, did you write a first, did you write a book? I'll just yeah, I wrote oh, cool. a cool. You know, yeah, I wrote a book. Did I send you a copy? No. <laughs> well, you're going to get a copy okay. today. Okay. I had no idea you wrote a book. Obviously, I would have brought that up. <laughs> yeah. So it's Anne Hambly has written a book. Tell us about your book that you wrote. Yeah. <laughs> it's called CMBS 911. Okay. And it really walks through, I think a lot of borrowers are feeling that today. It walks through the parallels between having a car accident and having to call 911 and what happens when you get in that ambulance, they transport you, they lay you naked, they run tests, they do all these things to CMBS. I can't make my payment, I call for help, I get transferred to a special servicer. That, you know, so I that book this book parallels it so I think people can clearly see uh, how painful the process is and what they're going to be dealing with. So uh, I will gladly send you a book, cool. but I would, CMBS, I would love that. CMBS911.com is where you can get the book, and it's on Amazon too. Right. But uh, well, anyway, so when when yeah. we're done, email me you know some links, and I'll put that all in the show notes for people. Thank you, yeah, appreciate that course. absolutely. Yeah, that's probably that was a big accomplishment this this 2020. So yeah, uh, but no, other than that, I can't think of anything you haven't 
touched on. That All right. And if people want to either get in contact with you or learn more about your company, what's the best way to do that? Is it best I can send you a log to or, or a link to our website? Okay. All right. Great. That'd be the best way. Um, uh, I'll also, or you can give my email address, you know, ahambly at one stsss.com. Sounds complicated. So a link's probably the best okay. way to Sounds go. Sounds good. We'll yeah. do that. I'll send you both those. All right. Great. Well, Anne, it was uh, really nice to have you on the show. Thank you for including me. I really appreciate it, Eric. Yeah, of course. Uh, well, anyway, I hope you have a good rest of your day, and I'll talk to you, you later. You too. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Uh-huh. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Intelligent Investing Podcast with Eric Schlein. If you'd like to connect with Eric for questions, comments, feedback, ideas, or to inquire about being on the show, please contact Eric at intelligentinvesting at gmail.com. So, in the words of Charlie Munger, I have nothing to add.